This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. If day after day, week after week, year after year, 80% of your diet was fast food, what would that do to your physical health? Now, if 80% of what you think during a day, day after day, week after week, year after year is negative, what would that do to your mental health? Or should I say, what is it doing to your mental health? My guest blew my mind a few years ago with a word that changes all of this, a four-letter word that can change your life. And that's guaranteed right now on The Happy Molecule. Our December of putting some of the merry back into Christmas continues here on The Happy Molecule. Hello to all of my new listeners. Welcome back to the rest of you. What are you thinking about right now, this second? I bet it's a worry or something else negative. I have the science to back up that guess. The National Science Foundation figures the average person has anywhere between 12 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Out of those, 80% are negative thoughts. In other words, anxious, worrisome, stressful thoughts. A Cornell University study, meantime, concludes that 85% of what we worry about never happens. And this is where this is so much more powerful than you might think, and it explains why depression and anxiety are at pandemic proportions. Our thoughts are really electrical impulses in our brain, energy. Remember the first law of thermodynamics? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? That's right. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only altered or transformed. We choose to alter most of our energy, most of our thoughts towards the negative, day after day, week after week, year after year. You notice I use the word we choose. We choose to power our life with negative energy, negative thoughts. Why? Well, one researcher, actually it's Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, says, I never get my hopes up, so I won't get let down. We prepare for a fall that rarely happens. My question now for you is, would you like to reverse this energy flow? My guest is Asante Hutton. The Canadian Mental Health Association considers him one of the most influential speakers in this country when it comes to good mental health. Hello, my friend. How are you? I am doing well. How about, how about you? It's been a while. It has been. You know, there was one time you and I were talking and you said a four-letter word and it blew my mind. And it was a word I had been looking for for years and it was so simple. And it's something that you talk about so much. What is that four-letter word, Asante? Uh, well... It's not the word that people say sometimes when. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the four-letter word that, well, the other four-letter word I like to say is hope. Um, uh, that's a huge part of my life uh, and just everything. Uh, without hope, I, I probably wouldn't even be here speaking to you. So, I want people to really stop and think about that word. You know, we usually just see it on 
Christmas cards or something like that. And, and it sometimes gets thrown around, but it's a powerful, powerful word. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think people say the word hope all the time, but I wonder if people really sit down to figure out what it means for them. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. What does hope mean to you? For me, hope. Uh, what it means for me is is uh, trusting that no matter how bad things are today or how bad they might get, that there is a chance and an opportunity for things to be better and to be the way that I would like for them to be. Now, while the word is simple. The concept is simple. Convincing yourself there is hope can sometimes be really difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I mean, it's it's easier for me these days because I've had the opportunity to go through some really hard times, but then to go through some really good times. But for those who maybe haven't seen that transition happen in their lives i can imagine how how difficult uh finding hope would be for them let's go back uh, a bit and just just bring people up to date on on your early life uh, you know when, when you were a kid you went through hell yeah <laughs> you could say that um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh, it was really hard for me growing up uh you know one of my earliest memories in life was the day that my mom woke up myself and my brothers and took us to uh, a women's shelter. Uh, and, you know, I was four years old at the time. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of like the start of, of a journey of just a series of unfortunate events. And that was to get, get away from your dad. Yeah. Yeah. At the so, time. You know, and it's really weird because when you're a kid, you're like, I love this person, my father, yeah. but also like, you know that there's something wrong there. It drove your mother into an incredible state of, of depression as well. So much so, um, tell me about that day there was a knock on the door. Yeah, so I, I was 14 years old, um, or 14 or 15, I don't know. It was a summer after grade nine, and uh, my brothers and I, we're like these, we're huge sports fans, I mean. Like my wife gets a little upset with the amount of sports I watch, <laughs> but that's just because you cheer for Toronto, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, if you'd stop doing that, you'd be fine, <laughs> right? So um, that exactly that's what it is. Um, but anyway, so we're watching uh, we're watching um, some soccer, some Euroleague soccer, and we get this knock on the door, right? And my mom's home. She's upstairs. She's in her bedroom, and you know she's kind of a loner anyway. Like that's her personality. So we're kind of like. You know, she's just chilling. She wants to get away from us who are making all this noise. Three boys just, you know, being a little wild. Uh, so we get the knock on the door, and I go to answer it, and there are these two men in these, like, uniforms. Um, I'd never seen a uniform like that before. And, you know, they said they were from the uh, a crisis service or something like that, and they were here for a woman named Jasmine. And, you know, that's my mom's name. And yeah. But... Me being a kid, I'm like not even taking this in. I'm really thinking about it's the end of the first half and it's intense game. And I want to <laughs> go back, you know? So that's where my head is at. So I'm like, all right, let me let these guys in and bring these guys upstairs and, you know, check it out and see what's happening. 
I'm not, it's not even registering to me that anything could be wrong. Like in my head, I'm like, they probably got it wrong. It's the wrong house. We live in a big housing complex. Jasmine's a pretty common name, whatever. Right. So open the door and, you know, we find my mom in her bedroom on the floor and she's crying and, you know, she's got just pills like scattered around her. And she's like on the ground, like fetal position, uh, like crying, like ugly cry, cry, you know, yeah. really bad. And I've never seen that before from my mom. Uh, so it was really shocking. It has to be for a 14 year old. It has to be to, to see someone who cares for you and, and you care for obviously in in that kind of condition what happened it was hard i mean it doesn't it doesn't quite register in the moment what's happening you know it, it's it's all a blur i i i didn't like cry out or do anything i just kind of stood there stunned um and you know the the two crisis workers went into the room and spoke to my mom for a bit and had her, you know, sit down on, on the bed and, you know, got her some water and, um, you know, started doing some de-escalation. And um, then, you know, the next thing you know, she was in the ambulance and it was just really wild because, you know, I was like the first, respo first responder in my home. Um, then my brothers came upstairs once I guess they figured out what was going on. And, you know, my oldest brother, uh, he, he's got a lot of years on me. He has eight years on me. So, you know, and being the oldest, he kind of took over the situation. And my middle brother, uh, who's got seven years on me, um, you know, for me, probably one of the hardest parts was seeing his reaction because him and I were like best friends. And I always really looked up to him as like this tough guy because that's kind of who he was. You know, he was the one in our family, if anybody was going to become a pro athlete, it was this guy. And he just had that like machismo factor and that, you know, that thing that made you feel like this mm -hmm. guy's going to protect you kind of thing. Um, but he was the one who just completely broke down. Just, yeah, he locked himself in the bathroom and was just like sobbing for like half an hour. How's your mom doing now? Oh, she's doing great. Yeah. Yeah. She's so she's doing. gotten she's gotten the help and and working on that and she has hope. Oh, I mean, she many times when I'm in need of hope, that's the person I go to these days. So the secret is then, how do we give ourselves hope? How do we see someone we love on the floor like that with pills scattered around and that makes such an impression upon us? How does a 14 year old go from that to trying to, first of all, know that they need hope, but trying to find that hope? And, and I mean, it's, it's a tough question. You know, at that time I was just like, what's going on with my mom and is she gonna get better? And, you know, she didn't, not quickly anyways, at, at that time, you know, it was probably about a four or five year journey before she really started to turn the corner in a very meaningful way. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was hard, you know, what would have been really helpful uh, because, you know, we went to the hospital um, that day and, you know, my mom got the assessment by the, I guess, the psychiatrist and 
Um, then they kind of just released her and gave her a prescription and that was it. They didn't really say much to, to the family at all. And so that doesn't really, if you're looking for hope in that situation and you're young and you don't really know anything about the world yet, you don't know anything about mental illness or mental health, like to have a doctor pull you aside and say, Hey, here's the situation. And here's, you know, the prognosis and here's what the path might look like. And here's what the support might look like. Then, you know, being me or my brothers, we'd probably feel more like, okay, we have a roadmap for what the next little while might look like as we work together to help my mom get healthy. But instead it was, we, we didn't get any of that. So we were, we were just kind of left to figure it out on our own. Where did you eventually find hope the first time? Um, I mean, the first time that, that really registered that this is something important. Probably the, the, the first time. Well, I mean, I, I think for me, hope came in stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first thing, and I actually don't talk about this that much um, in any of my presentations or anything like that, but the very first thing was I read a book called, uh, I think it was called Antoine Fisher or, or, or Finding Fish. It was, it was the bi- autobiography of, of uh, a man, uh, African-American, uh, named Antoine Fisher. And it was actually my grade 12 English teacher who referred me to it. And around that same time, the movie uh, depicting the story had come out starring Denzel Washington. I didn't actually see the movie. To this day, I still haven't seen the movie. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I'm not a big fan of seeing the biopic of the autobiography. I don't know. I, yeah, you're always, <laughs> you're always disappointed. Don't do it. <laughs> right? right? So, <laughs> so I avoided that. Um, but I read the book and like within the first chapter of the book, you know, he starts talking about the abuse that he faced uh, from his aunt. For me to, to see this story of, you know, a young black male who was dealing with things like much worse than what I felt I was dealing with. At least nobody was abusing me. You know, I, I, I've dealt with a lot in my life, but, you know, none of my parents ever really hit me or anything like that, or I haven't gone through any kind of sexual abuse, um, you know, growing up. So, Well, he was actually born in a prison. Oh, I, I'd see, I, I, I forgot that detail, but, you know, you're absolutely yeah. right now that you brought it up. So, I mean, that, like, so he, his level of trauma was, like, of here, right? Yeah. And as I'm going through the story, I'm, I'm picking up these little nuggets. I'm like, um, yeah, he had all this going on at home, and he didn't feel like he fit in with his friends, but he, he found a way to find people. He became a DJ in, in his school and was, like, DJing the dances and, and stuff like that. Um so it's like he was finding these these little means of connection. And at that time, I was really struggling socially because I, I didn't really know what to do with my situation. I didn't want to let anybody close to me. Uh, I, I didn't want anyone to know that, you know, in my mind, my family was just messed up. So and my mom was messed up. So in my, I was like internalizing all this stigma and mm-hmm. feeling really bad about what was going on? I felt like it made us worse people, and I felt really ashamed. Uh, so I didn't feel like 
letting anybody get close to me. Now, what did the book, what, what did, what in his story in particular stayed with you? Uh, well, he went to the army uh, mm-hmm. or the military and the Navy. Yeah. The, he the, went Navy. the Navy. Yeah. 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 And, and then, um, you know, he, 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 uh, I don't, I'm not sure what they call. I'm not like a military. He did his tour of <laughs> duty or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. Anyways, and he came back to the states, and you know, he met this woman, and and they got married, and then his life just became pretty normal after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, it was like this dude for the first 18 years of his life, it was just horrible, just like abuse after abuse after abuse, tragedy after tragedy, and yet. Despite that, by the time he, you know, got to his mid-20s, late-20s, his life looked relatively normal and like the kind of life I wanted. It's interesting when you look at other people, right? Uh, and and um, let, let's talk about looking at kids. Because you had, one of your best friends' uh, mom had a daycare. Um, and that was another turning point in your life. Yeah, huge. Um you know, it's, it's funny how sometimes you get involved in things and you don't know what the impact of those things, you know, what the impact is going to be until later. So I've always just liked hanging around kids. I don't know why. Uh, I, I find kids to be very just honest and, and truthful mm-hmm. and they show you who they are. And fun. And, you know, they always seem positive. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I can't deal with adults nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... So I'm probably around age 21, 22 at this time. And uh, my best friend, you know, he his mom ran this daycare out of her apartment. And I was always hanging out with him, which means I was always hanging out with the kids. We would go pick up the kids, you know, at four o'clock from school and we bring them home. And then, you know, we'd help his mom take care of them for the next few hours until their parents pick them up. And you know, we're doing this all the time. And just at first it was just kind of a thing that was, it was fun. I liked it. And I just, I I slowly started going down the hill and my mental health was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I became very suicidal. And it, it was, it was very dissociative. It didn't feel like I was walking in my own body for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and the thing that helped me snap back was being with those kids. And one, just there was a day in the middle of, you know, the summer where I was, you know, at my friend's place and the kids were running around and playing and I was sitting on the couch and there was a, just a lot going on. It was like one of those movie scenes where there's like a lot going on and, you know, there's this person just very pensive and they're not really responding to their environment. Um, But I was, I was really just focused on these kids and said to myself, damn, like, look how happy they are just to be alive. Like nothing's making them happy. (laughs) They're just like (laughs) finding reasons in their environment uh, to find joy. Like it's just emerging. Um, And it made me realize how long it had been since I felt that joy. And it made (laughs) me realize, like, who I was in that moment 
and how much the person in that moment was not connecting to the true essence of myself, which was like, you know, I'm, I'm like a pretty silly person. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, despite, you know, how I might come across sometimes when I talk about serious things, I'm like not a serious person at all. Um, sometimes like, you know, my family, they get upset with me cause I don't know when to turn it off, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 um, yeah, but you, I mean, and, and you're also one of these guys. I mean, you have a perma smile. Uh, like, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think, you know, I think if you got mad, I think I would laugh at you <laughs> because I, I think that yeah. you have that, that, that always, always smiling. It, 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 and that's what a lot of people say, right? Is that they can't see you with depression because, well, you're, you're smiling all the time. So, you know, what I find interesting too about the story with the kids is that you basically, and you almost said it there too, just now. You were basically looking at yourself at one time, it, it was, at one time in your life. You were happy. You were running around. You, you had hope. Yeah, it was, it was definitely like looking at like younger versions of myself, right? Um, yeah. And I was like, man, I loved that person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's. Do you know? It reminds me of the Twilight Zone episode of called "Kick the Can." Of a, it was a senior's home, okay. and they had found a way to go back out and play kick the can, and they turned into kids again when they started playing the game. Mm. And they wanted to go back to a time when there was hope and there was happiness and and that. Did did you... Okay, so that happened. Mm-hmm. It made an impression on you. Do you think you've, you've come back now to that time of joy and happiness? I would say, yeah, Definitely. And that's not to say that, you know, life doesn't have its hardships because it yeah. does. You know, 2020 has been a very successful year, <laughs> but it's also been a really hard year. Yeah, no kidding. Like, it's been a terrible year for most people. <laughs> right. So um, it's, it's been a really tough year. But I. Even when things have been hard this year, I still managed to be able to keep my head up and keep my chin up and and still feel like, you know, as long as I'm healthy, I have an opportunity to, you know, just have happiness in my life. And, you know, this is a guy who had, you know, I had surgery on my Achilles in December of 2019. So I, I wasn't able to really walk for the first two yeah. months of of 2020. And then I started walking and then, you know, COVID happened and then I got COVID and I was sick. Oh, did for, you? Yeah. And I, I was yeah. sick for a while. Um, like, I, I know they say, like, you know, most people recover, especially younger people recovering, like, most people recovering, like, f- five to 10 days. I, w- I was out for um, was 22 days before I started feeling better again. Um, and then even after, like, feeling better doesn't mean I was, there's, like, these lingering things. Um, that actually I still have some lingering symptoms, like these weird, like electrical, like almost like muscle spasms kind of things that happen from time to time. And I still get dizzy from time to time. But other than that, I'm like 100 percent. A significant number of people who have had COVID um, actually uh, have, have reported uh, instances of depression and anxiety as well. What did it do to your depression? Oh, boy. Um when I was actively sick, 
I was just mostly worried about like, man, this it just feels terrible. I just don't want to feel this way anymore. But it was after I started recovering where that's where in particular the anxiety really started to it was really bad for quite some time. Um, of course, there's, you know, you're worried about your recovery and if you're going to be OK. But there there was a point where it felt like there is nothing in my external world that would cause me to have any anxiety yet it was still there um and you know looking back on it now i'm 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 quite certain that you know that was a symptom and you know i I, there was a night where i was having some like mild hallucinations and things of that nature so it was a strange experience for sure yeah Okay, we, you know what? It, I think the question on everyone's mind is, yes, this is great, but how do I find hope? How do I plant that seed? How do I harvest it and, and, and allow it to grow and, and allow it to, to always be forefront? Because it's very easy to slide backwards when, when you have depression. So for that, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go right to the, uh, the Me 3 list. Okay, let's, let's rock. Let's, let's rock and roll. Here we go. So... These are three things that you can do that are that are that are simple, easy peasy. Um, it, 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 it's beginning steps. It's the first step on that on that journey. So number one, what is it? So I had to pull out my notes. Uh, so the first thing <laughs> I told you to memorize these, Asani. <laughs> so the, the first thing for me um, yeah. is is to focus on change positive change that has already happened. Um, okay. I think we all have, you know, something in our lives where we could say it was not where we wanted it to be some time ago, and now it's closer to where we want it to be today. So for me, it's it's about, you know, just focusing on those things and saying, even if 19 out of 20 things in your life are not going well that one thing where there was positive change well there was positive change so if it could happen there maybe it can happen elsewhere it's funny though because in a lot of cases it's the other way around we can have 19 wonderful things happen to us and one bad thing and we always focus on that one bad thing so it it's searching for something that has been changed especially if you affected that change and then really focus on that. I, that is, yeah, definitely. Because we need to know that there are some good things in our life as well. 100%. Um, that That's exactly it. And I mean, I know they always talk about gratitude. And it seems yeah. like such a... I think the concept is so simple that people are like, oh, gratitude, come on, like, it's, it's whatever. But when you actually do it, <laughs> it, it has an effect. Yeah, you know what, folks? Yeah, it is. And and you talk about gratitude and and that you don't have to tell anybody you're doing it. So if you do feel a little bit silly writing it down or 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 saying, you know what, I'm really thankful for the warm breeze today, or I'm really thankful, you know what? Just don't tell anybody, but tell yourself if you have to. But it's better if you tell someone actually, and if they think you're 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 you know weird, so be it. Yeah, I'm weird and I'm proud of it, my friend. That, that I don't care if people think I'm corny, weird, whatever. All I know is that I'm living my life and I'm enjoying it. And you know, each year that goes by, it's here's the thing: is 
each year I reflect on like the wins and the and and the challenges and each year even since I've you know been in my recovery and been doing a lot better every single year there has been like a life-changing event happened to me that was like hard but it's this gratitude practice and you know the other two things I'm going to mention but <laughs> um that have really helped me to not return to that place of hopelessness and you know because because there was a time in my life where hope was very hard to find right but um now it's like when bad things happen because i'm able to also see that good things have happened it gives me hope that i can turn it around yeah okay number two number two um find stories of people like you or people in similar situations to you who have achieved what they wanted in life so this goes back to antoine fisher that's exactly it right so yeah i mean for for him it was like he was young he's black he grew up poor and he dealt with a lot of trauma and he wanted to you know essentially grow up and have a partner and just live a semi-normal life and that's what i wanted and so for me that that book was it was a complete game changer for me like it literally was like the difference between me not ever having hope and just a little inkling of that hope coming coming in because of course in the back of my head there's that voice like well you know that's some other dude in the states and that's not you but Part of me was also like, but it could be me. Now, a lot of a, a really great place to find these is a place you can find Asante, and that and and that's a TED Talk. Yeah, there are, that that is. You know what? You go in, you search, you just say inspirational. That's it, and you'll get a million hits. And listen to some of these stories, and they're not phony. This 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 can happen. This this is real, most definitely. I like that. Uh, finally, number three. Number three. Um, focusing or, or really looking at our, our the world around us and, and, you know, identifying who are the people in our world that care about us, you know, and, and you know, bringing those people to the forefront, right? And that might be hard for some folks to, it might be hard for some folks to find that, that person who cares because... Unfortunately, there are people in, in the world who are lonely and who are isolated and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, for me, the when I was in high school, before this was even really a thing now, I mean, everyone's on social media. But when I was in high school, I used to go on, like, internet forums uh, where people were into hip-hop because that's what I was really into. And so if I didn't have a lot of, like, close people in my, like, real world like I had these folks who would like actually check up on me from time to time, be like, "Hey, like, how you doing?" You know that kind of thing. Um, and and you may not have realized it at the time that they cared about you and 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 that was important. But it just, yeah. But looking back, I think this is an uh, absolutely fantastic one. Yeah, you know, and it, it was funny. Like, I mean, I was on the internet a lot, but you know, a lot of times I was just playing video games, right? But, but when I was like at that rock bottom place i'm like let me let me log on to the the hip-hop message board 
And, you know, then go on. What was the chat back then? I think it was AOL. This is way back in the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, just, like, you know, holler at these guys, you know, talk to these guys and, you know, see what's going on. And just, it seems like such a just weird and corny thing. But for me, that was kind of, you know, that, that was my air when I was, like, 15 years old. Yeah. I mean, social media does get a bad rap, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it, but... I always try and look at the positive side of it. Uh, it does keep us connected if we use it effectively. Using it for gossip, yeah, and conspiracy theories, yeah, that, that, that's where it falls apart. Right. But, but reaching out to someone who you normally wouldn't have, or they reach out to you. Hey, mm-hmm. Asante Hodden, I went to high school with him. You know what? I, hey, Asante, you know, it's, it's Joey here or whatever. So we are reaching out to people. I mean, thank God for, you know, in Zoom meetings, things like that during, during, uh, during COVID. I want to ask you something about that one. So you're saying look around to the people who love you, to people who care about you. You had um, had suicidal thoughts. Did you ever attempt to take your life? Depends on what you mean by attempt, right? It's not like yeah. I ever took a bunch of pills or, yeah. you know, stepped in front of a vehicle or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think sometimes people, it's not an, <clears throat> some people, it's, it's not an active attempt, but they put themselves in situations where anything could happen. Right? Risky. Yeah. Taking risks. Right. So, I mean, there, yeah. there are times where I, I certainly, you know, drank too much in unfamiliar situations and, you know, or maybe talk trash to the wrong guy on the street, um, you know, just trying to like start nonsense with people, um, you know, things like that, you know, times where, you know, I, I, I dabbled in, you know, we could say uh, some street activities and, and things like that. And it was just because I didn't really have any hope for myself in my life. So I was mm-hmm. like, whatever, whatever happens to me, who cares? Well, I mean, there's the answer to why we take part in these street activities, why we why we drink to excess, why we're looking for happiness and hope. That's I mean it. that that's what th- that's what those are to us. We we look at them and we think this is this is it. You know, it's going to give me happiness. It's going to give me hope. Um, it it does not, as as we we know. But at these times, were you thinking about the people who cared about you? In fact, I want you to rhyme off. A few people right there and then. Let's start with your mom, your brother, et cetera, et cetera, mm. who cared about you at that time. Who were some of the people that cared about you? I had a lot of people who cared about me. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, obviously, there was my mom and, and, and my two older brothers. Um, you know, I, I got a tremendous amount of support from, like, m- many of my teachers in school. Uh, you know, I had some guys in the neighborhood I played basketball with who, you know, just you come by and knock on my door and we hang out. Um, you know, so it wasn't like I was devoid of people, but sometimes, you know, I'm learning about something recently called love languages, right? And 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 I think that the ways in which people were trying to reach me were not the ways in which, uh, you know, I was allowing my or that I needed to be reached right um so you know the the challenge there is just that like you know if if you and I and I think that's why I the the third point the of of the me three is, is so important for me because it has to be intentional 
you know, because, right? Because just, just like looking for things to be thankful for, to be grateful for, it has to be intentional. I hear you. Yeah, you got to sit down and be like, who treats me well? Yeah. And sometimes it could be the the person who runs the convenience store. Yeah. Right. You know, if, if some, you know, sometimes you know that person you go in and you joke around, and instead of you know just buying your your, your bag of chips or whatever, you're there for five ten minutes, and you're hanging out for a bit. That person cares about you. They know your name. They ask you how you're doing. You know, you work you work a lot with youth now. Um, you have helped with a uh, institute a program called Finding My Path. What is that? Yeah, so Finding My Path. Um, that's uh, you know, it's it's funny. It's an it's an employment program, but really what it is is it's you know working in mental health. A lot of young people, especially, well, just. Let me take that back. A lot of people who have mental health challenges, uh, oftentimes employment and steady employment becomes a challenge, right? And sometimes, you know, people feel like the fix is just getting the person the job or helping them with the interview or helping them with, uh, I don't know, all those tangible aspects, right? For me, my entire approach to the programming was always what from an emotional or psychological standpoint is getting in the way. And if mm-hmm. we, you know, address those things, then, you know, the paths open up for people. And then when you have a job or the prospect of a job, you have hope. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it comes right back to you. Right. Um, and, and you talk a lot about what we need to do more of as as society, as a community. Yeah, we, I mean, in, I think in general, we got to love each other. You know, I, I mean, again, sounds like flowery language and whatever, yeah. but I mean, it comes down to that. And, you know, we got to love ourselves and love each other, you know, and, and I, I think it really does. The thing is, I can, there might be someone who doesn't love themselves. And if I show them love, it might, be the thing that helps them to see there's something lovable about them so maybe they start loving themselves and i mean there's a little danger within that you know sometimes people get in these like trauma bond relationships um that's not what i'm advocating for but um you know just that that healthy expression of of love and care uh sometimes goes really far uh for people a lot of my approach to my work is Obviously, there's a lot of theory and, you know, my education informs my work. But a lot of it is just like I'm going to try to treat everybody in a way where. Sorry, I got some background noise here. (laughs) That's quite all right. (laughs) Uh, for For me, it's I'm going to try to treat everybody the way that, you know, as if they are a valuable person to me. I mean, am I always successful at that? No, but I I really try to treat everybody as if they have a high level of value just because, not because they did anything or they're attractive or whatever, like who their favorite sports team is. Like none of the, like just you, the person. It It is treating others the way you would like to be treated. Yeah, and it's such a simple concept. They teach us this stuff when we're kids. Yeah. But, I mean, 
we, we got to practice it. You know, a, a friend of mine recently, you know, helped me out. And it was like, love is not just, love is more than an emotion. Love is a practice. So you have to practice love. You have to give it. You're a poet. Have you got have you got a good one for me about hope? Oh, boy. Uh, and uh, I know I didn't I didn't prep you for this. Uh, I'm sorry, no, but you know what? Okay. <laughs> I want one that's in your mind and that, that sort of stands out in the forefront. Okay, I got one for you. Let me see if I can remember it. Okay, um, go ahead. It goes like this. Dreams are wasted through confusion. Empty lives are filled with nothing but hope for life's conclusion. But the strength of spirit and unwavering faith of humans provides obtrusion for suicidal delusion. Instead, perseverance is determined to find a solution. Hit with the realization that reclusion was not the solution for my suicidal delusion, as it only impeded my progress in social institutions, I sifted through the mental pollution to find the remedy for my soul's contusion. Through laughter and amusement, I was finally able to enjoy life's music. Once taken for granted, now I try to use it, but sometimes fall back into the pit where I foolishly abuse it. Now I've been beaten down by life, but I've lived through the bruises only to realize that whether Christian, Islamic or Jewish, Hindu, Sikh or Buddhist, that you need to open your ears in order to hear life's music. That's powerful. I like that. I like that. Are you, and you're hearing life's music now? All the time. Yeah. I got I got life's music around me right now. I hear my wife laughing in the laughing in the background. That that's that's life's music right now. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, it is um, you know you are one of the people in my life who who I appreciate uh, and who taught me something important about depression about about you know that's depression's kryptonite right there is hope. You know, we can kill depression off if we can just shine hope on it uh, and do whatever you can to, to, to find that hope and reach out and talk to people and try and try really hard to listen for, for life's music. That's it. You know, um, you're going to make me choke up, though, man. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> as No, because, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I know that we're friends now. We like we talk or whatever. Right. But. I just remember just watching you on TV, like when I was younger. You know, I was like, "Oh, this this guy is hilarious." You know, uh, you always you always had a quip, you always had something, but you also knew how to balance that with like genuine emotion, uh, which you didn't really see from a lot of guys on TV, right? So, um, you know, and then when you started talking about your mental health stuff, I mean, it was like, "This is my dude." So, I mean, you know, it goes both ways, man. That's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. I'm going to give you the 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 last word. Um, my guess is there. I mean, even if it's just one person, one person out there who's struggling to find that hope, I want you to talk to them. What what would you say to them? Well, I would say to someone out there who who's really struggling to find hope is try to find someone else who at one point has struggled to find hope and talk to them about their process and then take what you've learned from them and apply it yourself. 
I'm a big believer in just doing what works. And a lot of my approach to life is just looking at other people who are good at things, learning what their approach and mindset is, and then just doing that and seeing what happens. Asante, thank you for this. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's oh, such a pleasure, man. It's, it's, it's the best time of my this like it's been a hard week. It's been a long week, and I'm <laughs> so happy that this is how I'm ending my week. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Let's give each other hope, shall we? Yeah, for real, man. Always. Hope, H O P E. Write it down. Say it in the mirror to yourself over and over. I'm going to be honest, this is not going to change your life overnight. It's going to take practice and repetition. But you can start right now, this very second. Just put the word hope into your thoughts and then do it again and again. Remember, you are not creating good thoughts or good energy because of the pesky first law of thermodynamics. You are altering your thoughts, altering your energy, and in turn, altering the direction that it will take you. So hope and keep hoping because the percentages are heavily weighted in your favor. And I have to tell Christopher Robin to pass this on to Eeyore. Thanks so much for taking this time out with me. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health.